All right, good morning. Thank you, Christian. That was very nice, by the way. And by the way, welcome to everybody out there watching us online. You know, last week um, I was a little under the weather. I usually get one good cold a year that lasts usually about 10 to 12 days. I lose my voice and get a fever and get nasty and sick. And I always look forward to just getting it and getting it over with because I usually don't have it the rest of the year. Sometimes I get it, but hopefully this one's behind me and that's the only one. But it was nice to be able to watch from home and to be able to feel like I was a part. I got to see some of your all's heads in the front. I knew who you were by whether you had much hair or less hair. And uh, our, our tech crew and our... I, I was fixing to brag on you. Our, our technology crew does such a wonderful job to be, a, to be a smaller church like we are, I mean, other than the occasional wake you up, and I'm sure Sean did it on purpose, uh, God has blessed us with a wonderful crew of volunteers, and I want to thank them for sacrificing and dedicating to make this. They put in hours a week, by the way, just to make sure everything works correctly. So thank you, and uh, welcome to our service today. If you look on the screen, what I'm going to speak to you about is something hopefully that's very practical and very helpful for you. And that's what happens when you teach through a book in the Bible. Because you run across all kinds of different issues and you get to take those apart, tackle them, and then help us in our life uh, apply those in everyday living. But I want to remind you that in the book of Romans, there is a purpose for this book and it's found in chapter 1 verses 16 and 17, and I want to read those to you because there is a phrase in there that if you do not understand, you will miss the meaning of the book. And what Paul says in Romans 1, I'm in verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The one requirement for eternal life is that we must believe on Jesus and what he has done to give us eternal life. It takes faith to get into heaven. But listen to me, Christian. It takes faith to live this life and to do what God says and to obey him when it doesn't make earthly sense. And today's message is going to make no sense if you are not a believer and don't have God's Spirit living in you, it's, it's going to be like ridiculous. So when Paul writes in the next verse, for in it, that is the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, it gets you into heaven and it gets you through life. Faith taking God at His word, doing what He says. So we receive eternal life by believing, and we live the Christian life by trusting what God says in His word, and whether it makes sense to us or not, we follow His instruction. Not to get into heaven, but to live the way that God wants us to, to honor Him in this life. So let me ask you a question. Is there any kind of conflict in your life? As I was thinking through the message this week, you know, there's different types of conflict that cause not so peaceful uh, of a living. We can have personal conflict. 
you know, there can be someone in your life who is like, uh, I'm, I'm from a farm, a burr under your saddle. Or we could say a splinter in your finger or a grain of sand in your eye. It's just this person is always causing irritation to you. And so you can have personal conflict. Do you know there can be family conflict? Any of y'all know that? Uh, we all have different people in our family. And, you know, sometimes some people are just impossible to get along with and don't feel like you're the only one, by the way, if you have that kind of person in your family. I think if you got to talk to most of us, most people here would say that there's usually one or two people in our family that are just impossible to get along with. So there's personal, there's family. There's also workplace conflict. And let me tell you, uh, I was involved in this for years of my life. I had a supervisor over me that was a very evil man. And he tried his best to make life absolutely miserable on everyone. And he did a great job at it. The problem was I wasn't walking with the Lord during that time. And if I ever had a chance to get him, I would get him. But I never wanted him to know that I got him. It's just that underlying human nature that we want revenge. But we can have workplace conflict. This is that person that's always stepping on you biting you behind your back, talking about you, doing things to belittle you, maybe stealing your work and claiming it for their own to get their own prize. And that happens all the time, by the way. How do you respond when that takes place? And then, by the way, there's other kinds of conflict. You can have neighborhood conflict. You know, one of the worst kinds of conflict is having a neighbor who lives very close to you who is not so nice and tries to make your life miserable. As a Christian, you know, what are you supposed to do? Uh, how does God expect you to respond to that? And let me just say up front, God does not want you to be a doormat. Something that people just step on all the time and wipe their feet on you. That is not how God wants you to live. So if you think that's where I'm going, you're in for a big surprise. I'm not going there. However... God also does require and expect certain things from us that force us to trust Him to be involved and to stand up for His people. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 12 this morning as we talk about how we are to respond to have peaceful living. Romans 12, 17. I'll put this on the screen for you. Paul writes, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. All here would mean believers and unbelievers. So if you remember the last message I preached way back in December, Paul was talking about how we live in the church. We are to be devoted to one another. We are to serve one another. We are to love one another. We're to let our love be genuine. And now he's going to talk about outside. How do we as Christians live in this world when people do wrong to us? So he says, don't repay evil for evil. If possible, notice the second sentence, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. All meaning believers and unbelievers. Beloved, 
Notice how he's talking to a believer. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never. And we're going to talk about this. He doesn't say don't ever take up for yourself. He says never avenge. The word avenge here is where we get our idea of revenge. It's where, and we'll talk about this, it's where you have an opportunity to get somebody back and really do them in good. He says never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, instead of taking out vengeance, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And now the sermon in a sentence. Do not be overcome by evil. When evil happens to you, do not let it identify you. But Paul says, instead, overcome evil with good. So let's pray and invite God to invade our heart and teach us this morning what we should do to live a peaceful life. Would you do that with me? Father, we prayed many times this morning, but I want to pray once again because these are difficult issues to deal with in life, especially when we are in the midst of conflict. Because we live in a world that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and we can take an extra eye and an extra tooth if we get the chance. Help us to understand, Father, that we do have to give way to your word and by faith trust you to do exactly what you say you will do, and that is fight on behalf of your people. So give us the faith this morning, the same faith that we believed on Jesus to have eternal life. Give us that same faith to live a Christian life that honors you and to trust you and take you at your word. And then give us the strength to do that this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we think about this text, I put this quote on the screen because I think it is so, so helpful. The realistic practicality of the apostles' instructions concerning conflict in human relationships should be carefully noted. Evil will persist, and Christians will not be exempt from its painful encroachment. You won't get away from evil. But while they are subject to the same attacks as the rest of society, they, Christians, are not free to handle them in the manner common to the society. Getting even, this author writes, is a natural response, but according to Paul, and of course his master, as expressed in the Sermon on the Mount, something better than getting even is the spiritual response. And that will be at the end of our message. So what is it that we are to do instead of getting even? You are not exempt from evil, but you may not handle it like others. Now, by the way, I don't want to be misunderstood. I mentioned a moment ago that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you're familiar with that, that's actually God's word. And it's written back in the law in the book of Exodus. Did you know that that is a gracious way of God dealing with people who have done others wrong? 
Back in the time of the writing of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, if you compare that literature with other literature, if someone knocked your eye out, you could kill them. And God here limits how much punishment can be done for someone who knocks out an eye or takes out a tooth. He says, no, you have no right to kill, but you do have a right to give equal punishment. And by the way, this was under the system of government. That's another issue. Just wanted to clarify. So what are three steps? What a short sermon this morning, preacher. Yeah, that's right. Short. What are three steps that you can write down on the back of your bulletin because you should write these down? And the next time you face personal conflict, you can turn to this central passage and you can learn how to deal with conflict God's way. And ask God, tell him, this makes no sense to me and I don't like it. But if this is what you want me to do and this is how you want me to handle it, and this is what I must do to get you to act for me, God, I'll believe you. So help me. Three steps for peaceful living. Number one, I love this. We are to do what is possible, not what is impossible. Notice what Paul says in chapter 12, verse 17. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He doesn't say what is impossible. He says it, what is possible. Now, did you know that sometimes you and I will face people who are impossible? So how do you deal with an impossible person? This should be a whole message in itself, but you know, I'm, just, I'm just here to give it to you, and maybe we can get into that some other time. But just here's a few steps on how to handle someone who's impossible. Number one, don't get defensive. The moment you get defensive with a person who is impossible, you are setting off an alarm for them to just feed the fire. And when you talk to someone in defensive, you know, you're talking to them and you're not getting defensive, one of the key ways to do that is do not use the word you. Use the word I. In other words, you, every time you say something, you make me... Let me tell you something, folks. That is a direct confrontation. The better way to handle that is say, I feel very... uh, this way when you say that or when you act that way or when you throw that across the the room. I feel like this. And that way you're taking that off. So number one, don't get defensive. Number two, get ready to diffuse a situation. If it escalates, and by the way, have you ever seen something escalate that quick? Road rage. Listen, folks. We are living in a society filled with angry people. You do not know what someone's going through, but you're driving down the road beside them. And, you know, you read stories about this all the time. Uh, Somebody cuts you off or they get a half a car length ahead of you. Listen to me. It is not worth your life and the life of your family to try to get even with them and blow your horn and show them what you think their IQ number is with your hand. Don't do that. You, I mean, it is, it's not smart. Diffuse. Listen to me. Hit your brake, slow down 20 miles an hour, and let that idiot go on. Count to 20, and then go back and resume your pace. 
Chances are you'll never see them again the rest of your life. Okay? And just pray there's a state trooper sitting down the road waiting on them. But diffuse the situation. If someone starts raising their voice to you when you're talking, an impossible person, do not raise your voice to their level unless you want to enter into a screaming match. This is where Proverbs 6 comes in. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. You know, two screaming people that are arguing, nobody knows who the aggressor is and who the other is. So don't play that game. Three, do, refuse to argue with them. Do not argue. You will never win arguing with an impossible person. And even though you know you're right, you won't win. Just drop it. Realize that there's probably no reasonable conversation that's going to happen. Now, I don't know if you've ever met people like this. I have. You cannot have a reasonable conversation with a person about right or wrong. So just realize that up front and have no expectations. Ask questions and don't make statements is always the best way to approach impossible people. Because as I said, the moment you make a statement about them, that is a personal attack. You're much better to ask the question, why or what makes you angry? Why are you feeling that way? Instead of, you're a jerk. You can't shut your mouth. You know, as a, as a Christian, we may think that. Don't act like you don't think that sometimes. But the moment that you say that to someone else, you have set them off. So be cautious. Watch your body language. This, by the way, I read an article this week. It was fascinating. It said that communication, 67% of communication is received by someone's body language. Only 14% is by their words. Can you believe that? 67%. I forgive you. Yeah, I, I forgive you. I mean, you know, what are you communicating? By the, and by the way, you know, this, when you're talking to someone, I'm just helping y'all. I'm your pastor. I'm here to help you. When, when somebody's talking to you like this, you, you know what you're telling them? You're, don't, don't invade my space, okay? I mean, you're, you're getting close. So watch, just watch our body language. Watch our face, you know, Sometimes our face can clench and our eyes. One of the greatest things I ever went through, my children hated me for it, but I got to go through like an interrogation class. It's when you can look at people and tell when they're telling you lies. And, you know, there are certain cues that people do, and no, I'm not going to tell you all of them, but there are cues that people do. They're not 100%, okay? So get this. They're not 100% accurate. And there are people who can beat that. Uh, but by and large, you can tell when somebody's body language indicates something's not right. So be very cautious about your body language. All right, that's enough about the impossible person. They are out there. But God says that your responsibility is you. So as, as much as is possible, if you want a peaceful life, then live with that person and don't return... Uh, evil to them. Don't do it. Just, just mark it out. Alright. The second step. We are to remember 
that evil must be punished, but not by you. Evil must be punished, but not by you. This is the principle of Christianity that sometimes we have to swallow hard on. Now notice carefully the text. This is not my opinion. This is God's word. And listen to what he says. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Now he doesn't say here, never defend yourself. You know, someone comes into my home. They try to attack my children or my wife. Obviously, it is my responsibility as a husband and a protector and a provider of my home to defend my family, whether that's with a baseball bat or a rock or my hands or whatever means, that is my responsibility to protect my family and also, in certain instances, myself. Revenge is when I get the opportunity and the conflict is settled down and I get the opportunity to absolutely crush this person. And this is what Paul's talking about. Not self-defense. Not family defense. He's talking about getting a deep-seated, well-thought-out, manipulated plan to just grind somebody in the dirt. Never avenge yourselves. However, listen to what he writes. Leave it to the wrath of God. By the way, that word orge of God, that idea is not a fly off the handle type of wrath. You know, there is a word for flying off the handle, a short fuse temper. The word used here for wrath has this idea of a settled, thought through, weighed out in the balances, this person's behavior and God is going to give them exactly what they deserve. And it doesn't matter how much time passes. It doesn't matter what people think or what courts say or what anybody else says. Nobody's opinion matters here. It's about God's opinion, what's right and what's wrong and what must be dealt with. And listen to me, folks. Every wrong must be dealt with. It's not if it will. It will. But it will be God's time and it will be God's way. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying the minute that you go to avenge yourself, you are stepping in God's territory and you're telling God, God, I think I can handle this better than you can. And you know what God does when we do that? He removes His hand from wrath. If you want God to fight for you, do not play God's role. Let God have it. Do not avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written to reassure you, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If you read that verse, it's back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, when a certain nation did Israel really wrong, they took advantage of them, and God told them, you be patient, I'll take care of that nation. Israel had to wait a long time, and in some ways it hasn't completely been taken full, fully care of, but it will. God never forgets. So, as we think about this, what are we to do? 
We're to do what is possible for us, not impossible. We're to remember that evil has to be punished, but not by me. And then finally, we are to overcome evil with good. Now listen to this passage, and then we're going to mention how we do this. Paul writes, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what are you to do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now I read at least three different views this week of what this means. And by the way, this is not something that you don't drink coffee over somebody if they disagree with you. But there's, a, there's several different views of what does this mean, heaping coals on their head? Some people think that this means that it's heaping judgment upon them. Other people think that it means that you are responding in kindness to someone who has done evil to you. Because back in the day when somebody's fire would go out, somebody give them a shovel full of embers and they would carry it home and wouldn't have to you know, sit there and try to start a fire. So it was actually a way of showing kindness to someone who was evil to you and that would bring shame upon them and maybe God could use that to change their heart. So whether you think it's judgment or whether you think it's kindness which leads hopefully to, to repentance, that's up to you. Take it either way you want. But Paul's point is when someone does evil instead of you responding with vengeance, you are to take an extra step and if you have an opportunity, do good to them. You want to know why? You want to, why, why are we to do that? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to show you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 for just a minute. I didn't put this on the screen. Uh, I think God just brought this to my mind, by the way. I'll go ahead and confess that to you. It just popped in the old noggin up here. Uh, why are we to be gracious and kind to people? Now if I can find it. Uh, this is where Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, where is it at? This could be embarrassing, folks. Uh, it's where Jesus is talking, and he says that the Son, blessed are you, I was going, okay, it moved on me. But it'll come back. See, this is what happens when you do things off the fly, isn't it? I could point to it in my other Bible, but it is gone. All right. Anyway, the point is, Jesus tells them, uh, five what? Somebody told me. Verse nine? Okay, uh, let's see. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Uh, that's not the one I'm looking for. 43. Hang on. We're getting there. Ah, that's it. Thank you, whoever you are that rescued me from great embarrassment. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, notice what he says. Because he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And by the way, if I were God and you curse my name and didn't pay any attention to me, I'd let you live in Kansas City for a long time without sun. Okay? But God doesn't do that. What, what does God do? 
He is a graceful God who gives sun even on people who curse and sin against and defile and blaspheme His name. And even who treat His people bad. He causes the sun to rise on them. But He doesn't just stop there. Notice the rest of the verse. And He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Sun and rain are two common graces that God gives to humanity and many do not even deserve it. But God, because He's gracious and because He's good, He gives to people what they don't deserve. You want to know why? Because that's His character and that's His nature. So if you want to be like your Father, you are to act and respond to other people like God treats people who don't deserve it. And Christian said something this morning. He said, you know, they look at my life and tell, this is what he means. Right here. Somebody can say to themselves, how in the world, now see, by the way, people say this, how in the world can that person be nice to me as mean as I am to them? I have actually heard people say this to me before. They confess it to me, but they won't to the person. I am so mean to them and they won't argue with me. I've done everything I can to try to get them to fight me. They won't do it. What is wrong with them? It makes me feel bad. And I'm sitting there going, oh, really? Wow. And this is how this operates. God is a gracious God. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but instead take a positive step and overcome evil by good. Now, how do you do that? I am so glad you asked because this is the thrust of the message. You forget everything else. Don't forget this. Two ways that we are to overcome evil with good. Number one, by trusting God on your behalf to work out the issue. Taking your hand off. I read a story this week and I copied it down because this is worth repeating. There was an American Baptist preacher whose name was Jacob Knapp in the 1800s. One February in Rochester, New York, he announced that he was going to preach against the sin of the local gambling community. The church was packed with supporters, but a mob of about a thousand people surrounded the building. All of a sudden, rocks began whizzing by the window and the pulpit. And instantly, as a rock went past his head, a blast of thunder caused the window and everyone inside to shatter to shudder and jump. A minute later, another rock was thrown, but it too was followed by a dramatic flash and boom of weather loud enough to shake the ground. The same sequence occurred a minute later when another rock was hurled. It was though the Lord was fighting the protesters blow by blow with lightning bolts and peals of thunder. Eventually, the crowd ran in fear and Knapp finished preaching his sermon. I like that. You say, well, that was just by chance that there happened to be a storm that day. You really believe that? I don't. God fights for His people. Are you reading through your Bible, by the way, this year? Uh, I, I jumped ahead to Exodus, read all the way through it. One of my favorite parts in the book of Exodus is where God tells the nation of Israel, I will go and fight 
for you. And he tells them how he'll fight for them. And one of the ways God said he would fight against the enemies who were up in the hills, he said, I will send the hornet and the bees to rout them out of the land. Now, by the way, if you think that God can't send a nest of yellow jackets to get you moving, I guarantee you he can. God has a way of fighting for his people. We have to trust him. You have this impossible person in your life and you have an opportunity to get revenge, don't do it. Don't do it. Trust God. Let God take vengeance. Step number two, or the second way, is by not retaliating when we have the opportunity, whether it's by words that we can say or actions. You know, someone made this statement, words are eternal, Guard them carefully. Do you know that I have had people come to me and tell me something, a short phrase that was said about them years and years and years ago and they never forgot it. Usually it's something that's said in a moment of heat and rage and battle, but it pierces down into the soul and in many ways becomes someone's identity. Be cautious. When you have a chance to get somebody back, don't. Don't do it. A father one time got mad at his son and said, you were an accident and we, we never wanted you. I can remember the man coming and telling me, he said, my father told me I was an accident and I was never wanted. You know what that young man struggled with throughout his whole life? He struggled with identity and approval of his father. Now, can you imagine that being your life statement? So, what, how would you counsel him? Well, I told him, I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. You've got a father that's greater than your dad that says, you're my son and I'm well pleased. And I think his words are greater than your dad's, but you're going to have to struggle with that. And every time that thought comes in your mind, you're going to have to replace that with something God says about you. Other people who have been told one-line phrases about their worth by someone valuable in their life. You're worthless. You're, you're this, you're that. Be very cautious, folks. When you catch someone in a vulnerable moment, bite your tongue if you're tempted to say something bad. I saw this little thing right here. Before you speak, think. T-H-I-N-K. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? Pretty good, not mine. But I want to add another one to it. Can I add another T? Here it is. Is it timely? Sometimes you can say the right thing at the wrong time. You may have something that you need to say, but be cautious about when you say it. Make sure it's the right time. So, in our words or in our actions. Now, what I want to do, and I'm, oh yeah, this is a little disclaimer here about the next chapter. And this is next week's sermon. Notice how Paul says, don't take vengeance for yourselves. And in the next chapter, he talks about how God has set up on earth a temporary way for someone to take 
for vengeance to be had. And that is through local government. And this is why we are to pay taxes. Everybody smile. Because God takes your tax money and he has, are you ready for this? Ministers called police, judges, and other law enforcement people who are particularly called and put in place to punish evil. That's the sermon for next week, by the way. And you're going to be shocked because police officers are called basically the same thing that a minister is called. They are ministers of God. I'm a chaplain at the police department, by the way, and whenever I get to go down there, one of the things I always like to remind them is, you're called in the ministry just like me. I, I just have a different responsibility than you. You're called to punish evil and bring people to right. And, and my call is, is this, the Word of God in their life. But don't forget, you're God's minister. Be a good one. Because you'll be judged by that one day. Don't be crooked. Don't do things you shouldn't. Live right. Do right. And don't, don't break the law here on your own self and then go punish somebody here for doing something different. Uh, anyways, be a good message next week. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that government can't take revenge. They, they do and they can and they should. This is talking about individual personal vengeance. But here is the greatest story about allowing God to fight our battle. This is the story of David and Saul. And as you know, Saul was the appointed king. David was promised that he would be the king. And God allowed them to be in each other's home. And all of a sudden, King Saul got this spirit within him that he wanted to just kill David. So David, of course, went out and hid in a cave, and King Saul went to find him with a whole army, by the way, to kill David. And Saul went into the entrance of a cave, by the way, to use the bathroom, and he was squatted down in his most vulnerable position, and he didn't know, but David was about from here to that piano from him and had a knife, and one of David's men whispered to him and said, This is the will of God. God has brought him in your hands. Kill him. Now notice what David did. David, by the way, cut a corner of his robe off. You know, Saul, y'all got the picture here? Saul's got this big robe. He throws it back behind him. Y'all know why? Okay, so... I'm not going to do it, but I'm just telling you. That robe's back over there. David's within a robe's length. And you know, all he had to do is get a hold of that robe while he was vulnerable and just go. Mm. But instead, David just took his knife out and cut a corner of his robe off. Slipped back in the rock. And he went back and went to the cave and said, My Lord, the King... When Saul looked behind, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of your men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today in my hand in the cave. See your robe? And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed King. See, my Father, the corner of your robe in my hand? 
Don't you think I could have cut your head off if I cut your robe off? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and didn't kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Now notice this, it's wonderful. David confronts him graciously and he sets up a boundary. And he also tells him what's going to happen. You're fighting against me, but let me tell you something, Saul, I'm not going to touch you because the one you're really fighting against is my father. And he's big. And he wins. May the Lord judge between me and you and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness but my hand shall not be against you. That was David's answer. Now, by the way, what happened? I think Saul preached this sermon. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good whereas I repaid you evil. Perhaps the Apostle Paul had this story in mind when he said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you have a chance to take advantage and just get them back, back off, let God take vengeance. By the way, if you want to read the next chapter, David spared Saul but wanted to kill Nabal who was a man that owed him some money. And then if you read the next chapter you'll figure out what happened. It's a trilogy right here together. Thank God for Abigail who saved David from looking like Nabal or the fool. David would have been the fool. So we're not perfect in this but when we're faced with it we need to allow God to have His way. Notice what Paul, or Saul goes on to say, And you have declared at this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. Even Saul recognized that. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. He won his enemy. So I have a question. Are you in a situation for retaliation? Can you just get them back and just grind them into powder? I, I plead with you. Talk to God. Pray and ask Him for wisdom and strength. And before you do anything, trust God and leave the vengeance to Him. Can you say that with me? Trust God and leave vengeance to Him. He will repay. So Father, thank you this morning for your word which invades our heart and our life and teaches us your ways because they're certainly not our ways. But we ask you, Father, for the strength to free ourselves from vengeance that we wish to take on our own and instead give us the faith that we need to trust you to take care of all of our battles. Thank you so much for the greatest battle that you've taken care of, and that is the battle over sin 
and our soul. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that you've given to us through Jesus, our Savior. May we freely, graciously, willingly share this message of hope with a world that needs so desperately the gift of eternal life through Jesus. And I pray that through the actions of us this week, when we have opportunities living our lives with people who could be impossible or we have situations that we could take revenge, that you will help us to trust you to take our hands off and allow you to take vengeance in your time. So be with the hearts and the lives of our people here and online, and I pray that you would honor yourself through their actions and their words this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.